Riverside. Welcome to Dance Talk with Joanne Carey, where the dance world connects, the conversations inspire, and where we are keeping them real. I'm your host, Joanne Carey, and I am joined with a very special guest today who's going to talk to us about Indian classical dance. I have to be honest, this is my first foray into learning about Indian classical dance, so I'm just as excited as I hope all you, my listeners, are. My guest today is Bala Devi Chandra Shakar. I probably mispronounced her name, so I apologize in advance. When she comes on and introduces herself, she can do the correct pronunciation for me. But I am absolutely delighted that she is here today and going to share with us everything she has been doing in the world of Indian classical dance and what she's bringing to us soon here on, I, I believe it's September 30th. So welcome, Bala. Welcome to Joanne to Dance Talk with Joanne Carey. Welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. So Bala, could you um, introduce yourself to everybody and say your beautiful name the way it's correctly said? Yeah. Good morning. And I'm Bala Devi Chandrasekhar. And uh, my forte is uh, Indian classical dance, uh, primarily from the southern part of India, and it's called Yes, and that that's that's quite um quite a a word that encompasses so much. What does it mean specifically? Can you tell us the meaning? First of all, tell everybody the meaning of your name, which I think is very special, and then tell us the meaning of the word of the of the dance, please. Yeah, Bala Devi Chandrasekhar literally means Bala, a young girl, Devi, a goddess. Chandra is the moon, Shekhar is the light. So this is the young little goddess dancing in moonlight. And that's wow. Bala Devi, Chandra Shekhar. And Bharatanatyam is uh, the art form from southern part of India. Obviously, it's uh, from Bharat, from India. And also, we have a huge text, Bharatas Nati Shastra. And Natyam means drama, which encompasses pure dance, which is Nritya, Abhinaya, which is art of communication, and Nritya, which is representational dance. Very nice. I have to I have to comment on meaning of your name. Um, is it when you're named, when you were given your name, were you given it specifically for the meaning that it represents? Oh yeah, because all most of the names they come from the root language of Sanskrit. Okay. Uh, which is one of the four languages in India, and it's very beautiful uh, to even hear the language. And uh, we do have a very specific meaning to it. So, okay. Bala Devi is my name, and my husband's name is Chandrasekhar. So, we take uh, the husband's name as the last name. So, it is Bala Devi Chandrasekhar. Oh, wow. That, I mean, it's really beautiful that it has such meaning and depth. And then to to add dance on top of it is really special. Did you dance as a young child, as a little girl? Yes, I started my journey as early as five year old, but very informally, you know, because I, I think my parents just saw me very excited to be in front of the mirror and just doing some moves. 
but then they, I think, decided why not have this formally taught to this young mm -hmm. little girl, you know, seems to be very fascinated about movement. Mm -hmm. So then they took me to a formal teacher and I was in Hyderabad, which is also in the southern part of India. And my first guru was Jay Lakshmi Narayanan, who initiated me into this art form. And then I came to Chennai and um, I then went under the tutelated mentorship of Padma Bhushan, Dr. Padmasana. Okay, so so when someone teaches dance, when you learn when you're learning this type of dance, did you say guru? So is the name the proper name guru? Yes, guru would mean somebody who is teaching you this wisdom, somebody who's teaching you this knowledge. And I, I think all Indian classics, all Indian classics, the Eastern philosophy strongly believes that you need somebody to handhold you, to mm -hmm. mentor you through this path. And dance uh, itself is the highest form of yoga, and you need a mentorship who will walk you through this wisdom of this art. Wow, that's really beautiful. So, so dance is the in 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 Indian culture, dance is the highest form of yoga. Yes, the body is trained only to be forgotten about. I love that. So, so I'm going to repeat that for the listeners. I told you you're going to teach me so much today. Um, so, so the body, so the body is trained to be forgotten about. Is that what you said? Yes. Yes. I mean, I, it's more for elevation. While a lot of people see it as an entertainment, it is more for elevation because the music, the literature, the movement, everything lends itself to this concept of oneness. This concept of positive energy around you, in you, and outside. So it is the ultimate form of yoga, which means you only train this body to be forgotten about. I love that. You know, that's, that's so profound. And as you say, so full of wisdom. I understand now why, you know, a teacher would be called a guru to pass that wisdom on. You know, often in, in dance, we'll, we'll tell our dancers, you know, trust the technique, forget about, you know, just let your body go and trust what you've learned. So I suppose it's the same concept, but I'm yeah. right. The same concept. Complete, complete trust and faith in the process yeah. and in your mentor and in the guru. Yes. I Wow. That, that really is, that's really a handing over of and being a vessel. Yeah. For, for what you are doing, right? I mean, that's that's a really beautiful emptying of self to serve I, I is what my interpretation. Is that what it's like, emptying yourself to serve? Yes, yes, that's, yes. that is elevated and quite beautiful. I, I like that. Um, so so let's go back a little bit. So here you are learning. You're, you're in India still learning this dance. You're, you're coming up. And when was it that you... Or do, how does that happen and occur that you realize this is your, your calling or what you're called to do, what you want to do? How did that come about? Uh, I think it was uh, the families uh, initially, uh, uh, you know, had these children to be initiated in a very disciplined performing arts. And mm -hmm. that was the, um, I think, reason why my parents took me to a guru and not uh, necessarily that I should become a professional dancer one day, but to just get that discipline, to get that focus, to get that 
uh, concentration to be able to be in one place, be able to receive instructions and be able to do according to what has been told and more for the process. And then all this took maybe years, like 10 years, 15 years. And of yeah. course, just like any other child, I went through the primary school, middle and high school and college. And I have three masters and I worked 22 years in corporate life, you know, so I worked in many industries that you can name. Uh, but I never left dance. Dance was quite an innate part of my very being. Nice. But probably not to the extent that I really wanted. So I think there was a time I said, I think I'm going to quit my corporate job and everything. And obviously, I do have a family. I have two mm -hmm. sons. So, you know, I had to also uh, be a part of raising my oh. sons. And them this responsibility of working, um, also raising a family. And of course, I traveled from India to the Middle East and Middle East to the United States. And you can imagine when the family is moving from one yeah. country to another country, continents. Obviously, it comes with that, you know, the pressure of trying to relocate and identify your surrounding and so on and so forth. And I think there was this time, you know, the calling was very clear that I am meant for this art form. And to spread the beauty of this art form, rather be like a software ambassador for yeah. my country yeah. and for the countries that I represent. And, uh, you know, say cultural diplomacy, and that stuck me a lot, you know. I yeah. could probably make friendship with people from any part of the world, because I think performing arts as transcends, you know, caste, religion, color, language and everything and i've experienced it through many years of my performance across continents yes i i agree with you that it, it transcends um that i was just having a, a another conversation with somebody about the similar thing about what dance does and how dance the language of dance it's just, it's a language all its own and whatever you are wherever you are people can relate on that level of dance, and I, I was sharing uh, with the, with the person that this podcast is listened to currently listened to in nineteen different countries, and I say that again because we're reaching dance itself. Even though we're we're talking about it, it's reaching those countries and and the importance of it. People are hungry to be connected. People are hungry to to be one and unified. And these conversations that I'm having with guests like yourself, who really believe in that, who believe in the, the connectedness of dance and how it can connect people, um, is why I'd love having you on. And I, I'm just honored to have the guests on that, that I have. And I'm so delighted to learn about your craft, if I can call it a craft, a gift. I, I feel like I should call it something. I feel like I should elevate my language for you around around what you do. Um, so so can we talk about the the specifics of the style of dance that you do? Can you know, I read a yeah. little bit at the hands and the feet and, and a little bit that I've seen. I've always wondered what those movements mean. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, I just as I mentioned in my in our earlier conversation, Bharata's Nati Shastra is a huge text which runs into thirty six chapters. So all Indian classical dance are derived from this huge text. It talks about everything 
the you know for the stagecraft, the props that you have to use. How do you use string instruments? How do you use percussion? Or the movements of the dance, whether it's pure dance, whether it's an art of communication, or it's a representational dance, or it's a storytelling. So there's a lot of these components one needs to know specifically with in terms of rhythm, in terms of music, in terms of literature. So it's not just movement. Mm -hmm. It's about all the life subjects and even art history. So we have temples, which are 10th century, 9th century temples, where you have all these cultures standing as a testimony to the derivation of these moons. You know, where do you go? Uh, more recently, I just came back from my Far East and Southeast Asia tour, and I was mm -hmm. able to compare many of these sculptures that I see in Indian temples and in places like Prambanan, which is a UNESCO heritage site in Yogyakarta mm -hmm. or in Angkor Wat you know, which is in Cambodia. So here's a huge uh, world of Indian classics. And this book is not just meant for the Indian subcontinent or the Asian continent. It's meant for the Saptabhipa, which means all the continents. So mm -hmm. there are these techniques that you can take, whether you're practicing ballet, or mm -hmm. modern, or jazz, or tap, or rock, because I've also had opportunities to work as a movement consultant with the Makato Theatre, and I had taken the nuances in the technique for one of their productions, which was Arabian Nights show. Mm -hmm. So that went extremely well because we have these major limbs and minor limbs, movements and exercises, and the face is almost like a playground of emotions. So you can play with your eyebrows and the eyes and the neck and so on and so forth. So I've also had the opportunity to work as a movement consultant with one of the Hebrew literature uh, production at the Makata. So to me, I reiterate that it's so important that I enrich myself in the forte that I belong to in classes. And I see the commonality or this coming together with other world traditions. So to put it in a nutshell, it's, it's a vast subject. I think one lifetime is not enough to even just get a glimpse of it, because remember, as a dancer, you're supposed to know the literary component, you're supposed to know the music component, you're supposed to know the rhythm component, and you are supposed to know all the basic steps and be an artist who can actually create a, a spectacle on the stage, you know, yeah. so that the audience are with you all the time, because you're like taking them through a journey. So yeah. it is very difficult to describe it just in one sentence, but I, I'm just trying to put this this whole thing as what is in classical dance part of the Yes, no, that that's beautiful, and I just want to let our listeners know as well that uh, you are in New Jersey. So I, I believe you are my first New Jersey guest on. I'm I'm New Jersey as well. Um, so I'm just happy to have somebody from the dance community on. Uh, from New Jersey, <laughs> so so welcome, New Thank Jersey. Yes. The state. Yeah. yes, yes, and so so let's go back to if or, I I think you you teach also you teach here in New Jersey, don't you teach you teach little children, adults, or do you teach everyone? Um, I think my youngest student is fifty three year old. Oh, so I. Yeah. I teach um, children as early as four years old, 
-hmm. I teach a lot of teenagers. I also teach undergrad students. And uh, I've had the opportunity to be an artist in residence at Princeton University. For Very nice. I have taught grad students, undergrad students. I have taught at UPenn, Columbia, Shiva, Vassar. When I say I taught, I, I go into departments like South Asian studies or religion, mm -hmm. philosophy, art history, theater, dance, and so on and so forth. Um, so I've had teaching experience both in my private academy mm -hmm. and at the universities and colleges. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my private academy, I teach students here ranging from four years, and I said my youngest is 53, but my institution is open to just about anybody. Because mm -hmm. again, I create this dance form is kind of elevating yourself to be very positive, to be able yeah. to bring that positive energy that you have in you and around you. So yeah. I don't think we need to have a specific age for it, you know. Right. So I this like is a process. So going through and be constantly looking for something that evoke that positivity in us. Yeah. So I yeah. teach regularly through the week and I also have my academy presence in New Jersey to facilitate people from New York. And I also travel across the globe to teach students. I have students in Latvia, students in London, I have a lot of students in Europe, Middle East. I taught many students this time in Japan and South Korea, also in Cambodia. So since even before the pandemic, you know, I've always had an online training too. So oh, we do have students online from several other uh, countries and states in the United States. That's exciting. So can you, being that we're on video, can, what, what's the first day one of a class? Say I was to come to class, what's the very first thing that you tell your new, brand new student who's never had anything to do with this type of dancing? What's the very first thing we have to know? Um, the first thing I request them is to practice humility. Because when you come to the Guru, you want to come with this uh, thought that I know nothing. And I'm here to seek knowledge. Mm -hmm. So there is something called a namaskar, which the child is taught in a form to touch Mother Earth and say, please pardon me, I'm jumping on you because Mother Earth is considered so sacred. And then we do a namaste above the head to, mm -hmm. for the all-pervading energy, one namaskar at the forehead to mm -hmm. say that I pay my sins to my guru and one at the chest to say, I pay my respects to the audience. So it's like the all-pervading energy to the guru and to the audience and celebrate Mother Earth and then you start your journey with the guru. Oh, that I, I'm fascinated. You might find me in your class. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that kidding. I just think that's so beautiful. You know, um, because I, I used to to I, I know you say study yoga we say take yoga but I I found it I did it at a time in my life I haven't lately I want to find a place again I to go to yoga I bring that up because you said you're what you're doing is the highest form of yoga but I go back to all those things that you were saying which I found inside the yoga practice how healing how healing it is and was for me 
And and I always loved how you would empty everything out or, or, or keep it on the mat when we were said to keep everything on the mat. And it was it was your practice. And we were always told you were practicing yoga, practicing because you're always practicing to get better or to improve. And I always... I always, I always found, I, I look back at that time in my life when I really was really going all the time so fondly and I miss it in my life. I miss that. And so when you, you know, when you do this and, and you're doing this, I, I remember that those, those times in class that I found just very um, healing. And I loved the silence in yoga. I have to say, I, I preferred that to when someone put music on, I preferred the silence of, of yoga. Do you, um, when you're teaching your classes or, or instructing your classes, are you using silence, both? Because there's certain instruments, correct? So tell us about that. Um, there, is, there are two words, which is called stiti and gati. Stiti okay. means absolutely no movement. Mm. and silence and gati is just the opposite where you go so in order to be a spectacular dancer or a performer on the stage one has to practice that calmness the stiti unless there's a right balance of both you cannot enact anything even in yoga there are some of the very powerful stunts that you do in yoga comes because the person is extremely calm and meditative within. Because those stunts in yoga can be quite um, complex. And you are trying to do something very complex. And you need to practice something very simple and very quiet within you. So this concept of stiti gati constantly works in tandem, and that's very important. So it is, again, I repeat, an ultimate form of yoga. So I do have meditative time for my students. I have meditation time, more of pranayama, you know, the way you breathe, because uh, most of us don't breathe the way we're supposed to breathe. Just, it's the breathing is not done properly. So it's extremely important that you spare some time in the class to have the deep breathing because the style of dance is quite strenuous on the knee and uh, on the body and there's a lot of uh, thumping of the feet and there's a lot of rhythmic portions. There are a lot of leaps and jumps. You as a soloist have to cover the stage and you have a live orchestra with you. So in order to be able to do that kind of a rapid movements on the stage, you have to practice that calmness within you. Yes, yeah, that makes so much sense. And this is such great wisdom, as you say, you know, it really, for, for those listening, you know, when we talk about performing, for any type of performing, to have that calmness, you know, because people will ask, do you get nervous? Do you get nervous? But I, I know when I was performing, you know, I always had to take that time to remove myself from whatever was around me and take that time before I stepped out on stage. If I didn't do that, I wasn't centered. And I think it's that same type of thing you're talking about. 
probably a little deeper. I would imagine it sounds like it goes even deeper in what you're what you're doing and studying, which I, I find fascinating. Um, you know, so it's it's very beautiful. Can you can you show us? And again, I ask because you're on video. Um, you know, a few of the hand gestures. I'm doing them like I know them. I don't know them. <laughs> you know, but the the hand motions or gestures that we would see in this type of dancing. Yeah. For example, I'll just do the Sanskrit words, and I will also say how you can use this for a storytelling. Now, for example, the Pandaka is just putting the hand like this. Oh, you, could you please come here? Ah. Now, I want to say, you know what? I just saw this huge place and I saw the king. You know, the king, the king was just coming. And I also saw these two birds on the tree. And I was fascinated looking at this. And then I saw somebody going there. Suchi, Katakamuka. Oh, please come. Welcome. You see? So yeah. any genetic ideas that you want to express, could be expressed very clearly using these mudras. They're called mm -hmm. mudras, mudras and they can be expressed. So it doesn't have to be something religious. It doesn't have to be from a spiritual book. It can be mm -hmm. very generic storytelling. Like, right. please come, uh, yeah. you know, can you just not speak? But why do you think otherwise? You know, things like that. Yes, I'd like that. So that's that's sign language. It's almost like a sign language. Mm -hmm. where you can communicate using these mudras very effectively. Yes. And and so when you're performing that, is the, say if you're in an audience, uh, if you're in an audience overseas, if you're in an audience in India, are they, are they, are they understanding those movements? Because I imagine an audience here isn't always understanding those movements. How are you communicating that to an audience? Say somebody like me who I'm going to see it and I'm going to take away, just like from any other dance, when I'm watching that, oh, the, the, the power of the storytelling. But I can only imagine if you're really knowing the movements, what's being said. It's like ballet pantomime. You know, there's pantomime and ballet. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Now, every time I perform something, we give something called an MC notes, and okay. those notes are always printed, and uh, the MC is also in the local language. For example, if I'm performing in Madrid, then it's in Spanish, oh. or I'm performing in Berlin, then it's in G German language, and, or I perform in Japan, then it's in Japanese. And then I take, there's also a translator uh, before and after, where I just give a little snippet about the sign language or the mudras that I'm using, the the steps that I'm using, what is the storyline and everything. So we ensure 100% comfort for the audience to be with me because my sort of performances are about an hour or an hour and 10 minutes. And I think it just doesn't serve the purpose if I haven't connected with the audience. And that's extremely and yeah. most of my productions are universal in nature. The messages are universal. They're not 
something meant for people only from this tradition. Things like always go with people who are righteous. Things like go with truth. This is something holds good for you and holds good for me and holds good for anybody in the world. So my messages, which I take, are pretty universal. My productions are quite operatic and the music is layered. And uh, I think the storytelling and the story itself is so powerful that, you know, understanding the mudras or the, uh, you know, the uh, hand gestures that I'm doing becomes quite incidental to the business. No, it's, it sounds lovely. Let's talk about your upcoming performance, because I understand that's based on an old uh, poem. Can you talk about your upcoming performance that you're having? Yeah. Uh, I've taken a text of the 12th century poet, Jayadeva, and it is completely about love of Radha to Krishna. Krishna is uh, one of the uh, gods from the Hindu scriptures. And here we are talking about individual soul to the supreme soul. It is only manifested as a woman and a man, but this is all about us. We are all yeah. the individual soul, and then we are always in this journey of unifying ourselves with something, something higher, something bigger than us. And uh, this is going to be a lot of Shringara, as I call, which is a love poem. And so we're talking about love of Radha for Krishna in the thick of spring, the beautiful, the, the, the uh, surrounding, and lot of sculpture movements, lot of, lot of lilting dance movements. So it is fascinating for somebody who's actually seen the dance performance. But from a very spiritual angle, it is sort of connecting yourself with that whatever form that is the supreme energy. Yes, and uh, poetically and grammatically, the poems are supposed to be very rich because many of the universities, not just in India, but in the United States or in Europe or in the Middle East or Far East, they teach Sanskrit as one of the languages, like Harvard has a department. So wow. professors who are studying and who are practicing or PhDs in Sanskrit would find these poems extremely enriching in terms of its poetry in terms of its grammar, in terms of its uh, layering, and from the cosmetic perspective of people seeing my attire and my jewelry, and for people who come, yes, for people who are coming for the interest of music, it's going to be very interesting, and people who are coming with the interest of just about just the drama of it all, you know, that's going to be very interesting. So we from the art history perspective, from drama perspective, of dance, or literature, or poetry, or music, because a production should be able to reach out to just about everybody in the audience. And more than anything, keep them interested through that one hour, you know. So that's mm -hmm. the performance. And I've titled it as Padmavati, because the poet's wife's name was Padmavati. So whenever the poet Jayadeva was writing, his wife was enacting it as a dance. Oh, so I have named it Padmavati and Avatar. You've seen the movie Avatar. Avatar is just a reincarnation. Mm -hmm. reincarnation. Oh, beautiful. 
I, I can we talk about too? You mentioned, um, you know, the, what you're wearing. You wearing. So, are can you talk about that? Like the dress, because I always find it so beautiful when I see the colors, or or if I see a wedding, you know, and the colors and the makeup and the the um the um what's it called uh the the I can't think of what it's called right at this. The designs that are made on the, the hands. Yes, yes, and and the specific jewelry that's worn, but and the colors. Can you talk about that and how that adds to and how you choose that to go along with? Like for instance, even what you're wearing today, is it representing something? Is the color saying something? I I always find that fascinating. What I'm wearing is called a sari. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is a silk sari, and it's a handmade, and obviously this is. Um, designed by me, the color choices and the pattern and everything. I think it's a very elaborate industry in India, these silks. And uh, the motifs that come on these uh, saris are all pretty traditional. And they take the inspiration again from the temple sculptures, as I mentioned, from the 8th century, 9th century temple sculptures. Even the hairdo, the hair jewelry, everything, the inspiration comes from the history. Uh, so there is there is a lot of history behind even the makeup and the ornamentation and the ornamentation is called temple jewelry because this art form was only practiced in the temple prisons. Uh, it is only maybe about fifty or sixty years or you know seventy years back you know that we have brought it to a concert platform, but otherwise. It was an offering to the Supreme Divine, you know, so it was always done in temple prisons. So the inspiration always came from the goddess and goddesses and, you know, the way the uh, sculptors imagined the hairdo. There are plenty of different styles of hairdo, different styles of hair makeup and the jewelry that you're wearing is a temple jewelry. And uh, the motives are very clearly from the temple architecture and sculpture. Uh, which is quite intricate, I should say. And uh, it sort of fascinates not just people in India, but across the globe, um, mm -hmm. because it, it has a lot of thought that has gone into these cultures. Yeah. And we, we do have separate texts which elaborate on this. So it, the, the Bharatanatyam has a specific costume that we wear with a blouse and with an upper cloth, with a pant kind of thing and a fan. And once you set the fan, just sort of opens. And uh, there are these very contrast color combinations that you can come up with. And it's purely left to the artist to design it, to see her aesthetic sense. Mm -hmm. And as a student, I have learned everything to paint my face, to actually draw my eyes and draw my lips, because we have Angika Vinaya, Machika Vinaya, Harya Vinaya, which is art of communication through physical body, art of communication through dialogues and music, art of communication through makeup, and art of communication from innate feeling. So when I say innate feeling, we spoke about yoga, but when I say costumes and jewelry, we're talking about Ahadiya Vinaya. So it is, for a dancer, it's very important to understand what looks good on her, what color combination would look fine on her, so there must be a very subtle, modest 
thousands of years on the stage without overdoing something or underplaying something. So I think that comes out of maturity to be able to design your own clothes and, you know, the jewelry and everything so that it, it sort of goes with the theme that you've selected mm-hmm. and be able to reach out to the audience. Yes, it's really, I, I love the intimacy and the layers of it. And I just, you know, I, I, I feel the similarities when, you know, I, I ran a dance studio for 23 years. And one of my favorite parts was picking the costumes for all the, all you know, for our, we would do a big production with all the kids. And I saved that for me. I, that was my favorite thing to do. I loved the the fabric my my friends tease me because they say I could open a fabric store with the samples of fabric I have only because I love the different like you're saying they tell the story or the colors or just for inspiration I would even get something just to be inspired by and so when you're saying that you know it just reminds me of all the intricacy and the layers that go into this art form of dance and whatever dance it is for the listeners, all this work that goes into behind the scenes and to putting that final production on stage when we bring it, as you say, to concert level, you know, um, it's really, really fascinating. Uh, your your upcoming performance that and you're just to add one more just to add one more line to this my uh, costumes have and jewelry has never been just from India it's been from the from Europe from Middle East from Far East from Korea you know so I like innovate and I think of all these things in the context of what I'm presenting. So I'm not, even in my costuming, I'm not limited to a particular country. I just go with the theme. And if I find something interesting, I would definitely pick up. Just like you said, fabric. I use all kinds of fabric. You know, I use chiffon, I use silks, I use cotton, I, I use jargon, you know, whatever. that suits the character and the production. Yes, that's lovely. And I, I did see a clip of you um, speaking at UNESCO. Can you talk about that? Because I have a fondness for UNESCO. Can you talk about why you were there and what that experience was like for our listeners? Yes. Um, I actually did a production on something called Brihadiswara. It is a Shiva temple in Tanjur, which is in the southern part of India, and it's a UNESCO heritage site. It is, the architecture is marvelous, and I wanted to work on the physical and metaphysical presence of that energy, and that being conceived by a temple master. That was my theme. And then I presented it at the presence of the temple, and I said if there was a world stage for this particular production, it has to be UNESCO. So I went ahead and I submitted the proposal. Obviously, being UNESCO, it is not easy for an artist to get up to that platform. So I had to go through a lot of diplomatic, uh, you know, process to be approved uh, because here is a place where you're going to have 650 members sitting in the auditorium and you're going to have diplomats, ambassadors. It's quite successful because it was June was the... Heritage Month, which was celebrating UNESCO heritage sites across the globe. Mm -hmm. And uh, we announced it that June 21st, 
that the performance is going to be, this was 2018, and uh, by June 23rd or 24th, all the 650 seats were filled. And my performance was on June 27th, and there was absolutely no seats available. And uh, the greatness was that we had ambassadors from different countries, over 150 ambassadors, diplomats, who were there in the audience and were able to see the glory of the UNESCO heritage site and the brilliance of it through the dance form. I think it was one of the marquee events for me, specifically as an artist. And uh, it also triggered the interest of where is this uh, architectural marvel? How do we see this? Where do we come? You know, so I believe strongly that if everybody could take these UNESCO heritage sites and be able to present it at that prestigious uh, stages, then I think the tourism or the, you know, the inquisitiveness in us to go and visit these countries wow. will also develop and it will also enhance our cultural diplomacy. You know? And that yeah. was the core thing why I really wanted to do it. So I said, through my culture, I'm going to make, uh, uh, you know, a connection to people from Russia, people from Latvia, people from Cambodia, people from Indonesia, people from Spain, from Germany, name it. So here is a place where it's artsy and it's about representation of the arts and culture from all across the globe. So I think it was a very rewarding experience for me and uh, most likely I will be going back to the UNESCO to be able to uh, release the same production in a digitized version. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. I when I when I saw that, I just thought what a what a powerful thing to do in a in a really beautiful way to bring together, to bring culture together and with it it's just it shows to me and I hope it shows my listeners, especially my listeners who tune in week after week when they listen to my podcast that how dance connects, how dance crosses boundaries it connects people on such a human level um because we're all seeking the same thing right we're I'd all like to give an example i'd like to give an example here i was performing in london mm -hmm. and after my performance i had the media with me but there was this lady who requested me for a couple of minutes by herself with me and she said can you just uh please touch my hand and she was going through a lot of lot in her life of uh, not being able to have a baby and she had three miscarriages and she said I'm carrying my fourth baby and I hope to see you next year with my baby and she did see me with her baby wow. so I think this is not about art this is not about anything this is about positivity this is about an energy that you transcend and you embrace and you you just give that warmth to another person. Yes, I I am a hundred percent with you. I agree, and I I really hope the listeners hear that and will go see this. I like I like I said when we first signed on today. You know, this style of dance is so new to me, but but the layers and the approach and what it means isn't new. You know, it's, I'm learning it in a different way. The wisdom, right? The wisdom that you're giving to me. Yeah. And we also have a festival called Festival of Fates in Princeton. 
where we represented all the faiths, you know. So I, I was there in that ensemble, and we were from people, artists from different parts of the world, but we just came together, and all we realized is we are all fruits. Maybe yeah. you're an orange, I'm a mango, <laughs> and somebody We're all fruits at the end of the day, and we're all most precious flowers, you know. Yeah. So the Festival of Fates was one of the most successful programs at Princeton University, which even uh, made professors of departments like mathematics, science, physics, and today if you see, even STEM is called STEAM, and yeah. arts is a very important component of the society. Yes, yes, it is. It is. Uh, it's so fascinating. I, I'm really, I'm really fascinated to learn about this and to, to have you on is such an honor. Um, is there anything, is there anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? Um, some wisdom that you can, can you can pass on? You've said so much, so much already. Um, I'm just, I'm delighted. I really am. I, I feel, I, I can feel the energy through, even though we're camera to camera, right? <laughs> screen to screen, you know, like you say, it, it really, that positive energy really is so important. Um, what can you, can you leave the listeners with? Yeah, I would like to share that my husband and my family, my parents, my in-laws, my extended family, uh, they have been a pillar of support for me. Uh, so I would, uh, my message to youngsters and people around would be, please value your parents, value your partner, value your family. Uh, because if we can build on that, then we build very strong communities. We build very strong society. And we build very strong as a country. Mm. So today, days are, um, you know, where uh, it's all about oneself. Let it not be that way. Let it be about others, you know, and you will naturally have your place in the process. Mm. So uh, most of the children who come here, I teach them to practice humility as much as we practice things in our life. So this is something we need to practice and uh, always seek knowledge, you know, never for a fact think that you know something because somebody always knows better than you. Yes. So always seek knowledge and don't be complacent. And you also don't have to have any complex, you know, you are a very special person. You are endowed with everything that is brilliant. So I think this positive energy this humility and that humbleness that you have, the modesty that you have, to be able to learn from just everybody and anybody. You know, it's not just somebody who's older than you, or somebody who's your guru, or somebody who's from your country, or somebody who's from... I've learned from everybody, and I think traveling and presenting your work across the globe, I think teaches you much more than just sitting in your own location and talking about your own culture and your own tradition. Others, we come together, I don't think arts make any sense. So any piece of art on the stage is a piece of art only when it can connect and all of us hold our hands and leave this world and more beautiful than you see it. Yes, thank you. That That is just beautiful. I really um, thank you, Bala, for, for being with me today, for spending this time with me. I'm so glad that I had this opportunity to learn this much, <laughs> but 
I am, you really have, um, it's been a gift. It really has. I, I sincerely mean that. It really has made me, um, yeah, I feel like I come away, I come away better from having spoken with you today. So I really thank you. And I thank you for, yeah, for, for joining me. Thank you, um, thank you so much for your time. Yes. It was my pleasure to yes. share my experience about this ancient traditional art form. So thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. This is Dance Talk with Joanne Carey. Follow us, like us, and share, share, share. Thank you. Powered by Riverside.